I said, empty your mind. Be formless, shapeless, like water. It's about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. Join movement expert Aaron Alexander as he dives into the minds of the foremost innovative healthcare thinkers and movement masters on their approach to optimal health and wellness. Align Podcast. Welcome back to the Line Podcast. I am your host, Aaron Alexander, and today I got to chat with a mentor of sorts, a fellow that I've been watching his work. He has fantastic courses on uh, body work, myofascial release, uh, really, really fantastic information on how to get these daggone tissue layers moving better in our bodies. Uh, his name is Till Lukow, and uh, we had a great chat. Uh, we got into the dynamics of what a headache is, how we can start to work with that. Uh, We got into what in the world pain is, a very, very, very interesting subject. So I'm saying pain is an experience. That's different than a sensation. Meaning I can, you know, I can just pinch my forearm a little bit and have a sensation. Now, my interpretation of that sensation is going to vary a lot depending on what I think is happening. If that's me pinching my own skin there, that doesn't hurt at all. If that was like a small rodent with very sharp teeth doing the exact same sensation, but I was looking down and seeing this ferocious little thing there, that would hurt. We are bodies and we are more than bodies. We are minds, we are more than minds. We are feelings, we're more than feelings. Somehow those are descriptors that do describe something, but they're describing a something that's probably more of a whole than individual parts like that. Inflammation in the tissues makes the tissues painful and irritated and red, but guess what? Inflammation is also correlated to depression and anxiety. It's just in your body. People who have an inflammation in the body are more likely to have those kind of things we call emotional or mental states going on. I still know what the heck pain is. Uh, I would love for you guys to give me your response for what in the world that is. You could leave your tricky, 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 leave some comments in iTunes or Stitcher or Facebook or Twitter or any of those places. And uh, tell me, what is pain to you? I would love to hear your response on that. Uh, We got into all sorts of stuff, just getting into the connections, the integration of this body of ours, what in the world is an interosseous membrane, all sorts of fantastic information. I know you guys are gonna enjoy this conversation. Please be sure to subscribe and share and leave comments in the iTunes and the Stitcher machines. I greatly, greatly appreciate that. It makes all the work worthwhile. Uh, Check out the website, aligntherapy.com, A-L-I-G-N therapy.com. On there, you will find the blog. You'll find hundreds of free videos on self-care and functional movement practices. You will find courses. You will find the self-care kit. Fantastic, handy-dandy little uh, foam roller with some balls and some bands inside. And then uh, a free ebook is included with that with over 30 videos on how the heck to take care of your body and then getting into functional movement practices to keep perpetuating that fantastic movement of yours. Thank you, everyone. Uh, enjoy your life. And uh, here we go with Mr. Tio Lucal. Align Podcast. You all ready to go? Ready, ready. 
Okay, Till Lucal, thank you so much for coming on. I have been learning from you from afar for a little while here now. I don't know if you realize that or not. In fact, I know that you don't realize that. Didn't realize uh, that. But I've been checking out your videos, and um, I've, it's awesome, man. I greatly appreciate the power of the internet that we can convey all these fantastic oh, yeah. messages. And you don't yep. even realize who you're talking to. You know, it's like all around the world. Thank you. So cool. Um, one of the things that I was reading about your background is you were into somatic psychology, and uh, I'd love to get into how that, first, what the heck is somatic psychology? And then secondly, how has that impacted your view of yourself, of, your, of the body in general, the body-mind relationship? Like, how has that, that shifted or evolved over the years for you? Great question. Yeah, great question. And it's a big question. I mean, let's think how to start about that. So the first, the first thing you ask is, what is it, yeah. I think? Uh, we are bodies, and we are more than bodies. We are minds, we are more than minds. We are feelings, we are more than feelings. Somehow those are descriptors that do describe something, but they're describing a something that's probably more of a whole than individual parts like that. So, for instance, when, uh, you know, there's all this research coming out about inflammation. Inflammation in the tissues makes the tissues painful and irritated and red. But guess what? Inflammation is also correlated to depression and anxiety. It's just in your body. People who have an inflammation in their body are more likely to have those kind of things we call emotional or mental states going on right. at the same time. Right. And this is not, I'm not talking about, uh, you know, uh, alternative viewpoints. I'm talking about mainstream science here is going, oh, wait a minute. This is really affecting these, you know, measurable evidence-based outcomes of how people actually feel. Sure. Yeah. And so, you know, have you got into Robert Sapolsky's work at all? I talk about him quite a bit here. And he, you know, he's... Yeah, he's, he's a cool guy. I like him. So fantastic, you know, and yeah, we're looking at the, the correlates with this. You know, it's like when we put ourselves through stressful situations, you know, the, the, the foundation of almost every pathology you could look up in the book it's going to say the inflammation of the bloody blah, you know, it's like at some point there is inflammation in the system. So I try to look at this from a variety of perspectives, be it nutrition, be it relationships, be it your physical movement practice, you know, and I think that that's the thing that we really need to start to get into is stop separating ourselves from ourselves. We end up creating this model of us, you know, we look up on the wall and you say, ah, bicep brachialis. And we say, ah, there it is. You know, it's like we end up creating this linear separation between what is actually happening in your system and this model that you go outward in order to pull information from. You know, mm -hmm. what it, I think what it ends up creating is a lot of cognitive dissonance. It ends up kind of literally separating our, ourselves from ourselves. That dissonance, I, you know, I think could lead to pain. You know, and, and so I think that the, the more that we can embody and actually, you know, I, I, I kind of use the analogy of like our body fitting, you know, it's like, wow, that person, it just looks like their body fits well, you know, mm -hmm. and sometimes it looks like their wetsuit or whatever it is that, you know, their, their body, it's like, it looks like their shirts turned inside out and their pants are over to the side and their shoes are on backwards. And this is when they're naked, you know, it just looks like their body doesn't fit well. And that will lead, I believe, to pain. Can you talk a little bit about what, <laughs> what the heck pain is? I know that that's a humongous <laughs> subject and it's going to go well beyond any 45 minutes we could ever possibly have. But like, wow, what boy. do you think? Yeah. Uh, as, yeah, okay. So you asked that as if I would 
No. <laughs> you have to. I would, yes. And as if I would have a definition. I mean, I got a working concept for myself, but I'm not enough of a philosopher to say that I know or here's what pain is. Right. But when I'm working with somebody or I'm working with myself, I, I'm always trying to keep in mind that pain is an experience. Sure. As opposed to, say, what? Uh, a signal or a um, thing as such, it's an experience. And in any experience, like having a good day, having a bad day, being in love, falling out of love, being uh, stressed, being excited, those are all very mutable, and it has all these different dimensions you were talking about. But pain is predominantly an experience. The same signal or the same physical thing that could happen may or may not produce pain. And pain doesn't seem to correlate with a lot of things like we thought it did, like symmetry in the body, right. things like that. So it's pain is, uh, you could say pain is an interpretation, except that makes it sound maybe a little more willful than it is. The catchphrase, you know, from the stuff coming out of Australia is pain is in the brain, which is kind of an interesting thought. It's people hear that to say sometimes it's all in your head. And that's probably something to that, but no, not really. It's not like we can just decide I don't want to hurt. Right. And that's, but it's, it's useful for me to remember that pain is, uh, pain is a signal that I need to pay attention to something. Something isn't quite right, you know. Either in my current experience or in my historical uh, filters that are coming through and helping me interpret my current experience. Pain is a call to action. Right. Tom, oh, go on. No, no. Okay. Thomas Myers, I was listening to something he was talking about recently, and he's actually coming on the show in September, I think, so that should be really great. Um, but he defined, I don't know if this is his definition, but what he, he said it, so it's his definition to me. Um, it was pain is a sensation accompanied by a motor reflex to flee. I don't think he said exactly that, but something along those lines. You know, it's like, so we're, we're bombarded by sensation throughout the day, all day long. You know, you're looking kind of skeptical as I, as I yeah, said. Yeah, I, dis I disagree. All right, that's great. Man, I probably said it wrong. Disagree <laughs> I know, with no. me. No, I think you're right. I think that's maybe that is a conventional definition of pain. And Tom's great. Tom is a mentor of mine, a personal friend for many years. But I, his views on pain, what I read, are a little different than mine. Okay. Well, so uh, how I find it, because pain to me, I, this is the question I asked. Like for a while, I was asking everybody, what the heck is a core? And everyone has a different answer for a core. Yeah, now, I'm like, yeah. now I'm like, all right, I think I got core. You know, like I, don't, I mean, whatever, I don't have it. But well, my, my, yeah. my perception of core has evolved to the point that I don't ask everybody about it anymore. Pain, I'm like, I don't know what the hell pain is. <laughs> no, well, it's, it's an interesting question because anytime we think about defining something, uh, we're defining it for a reason. Right. And uh, you're a practitioner, I'm a practitioner. We're usually interested in defining it in a way that helps us in our work. Right. If I'm not a practitioner, if I'm like a, somebody who's interested in living well in my own body, you know, a self-practitioner, yeah, then my definition of pain is going to affect how I experience, or how I think about, how I act on things that hurt. Right. So the difference in what you said Tom said and what I said is that pain isn't a sensation in my definition. Mm. And it's not always accompanied by a motor impulse. So I'm saying pain is an experience. That's different than a sensation. Meaning I can, you know, I can just pinch my forearm a little bit and have a sensation. Now my interpretation of that sensation is going to is going to vary a lot depending on what I think is happening. If that's me pinching my own skin there, it doesn't hurt at all. If that was like a small rodent with very sharp teeth doing the exact same sensation, but I was looking down and seeing this ferocious little thing there, that would hurt. Right. 
Okay, so that's so pain, and for me, it has a lot to do with the context and interpretation. Sure. There was a study that you might have seen with um, tickling, or it was a very similar thing, where it's like, you know, can you tickle yourself? You know, uh, and the answer nice. is for, you know, 99.9% of people, no. You know, you, right. might, you might be the oddity with that. But so they, they took a machine. They're like, all right, tickle yourself, you know, use the wooden, you know, peg, whatever <laughs> it is, and try and tickle yourself. Can't do it. You know, no. because you don't have that, that unpredictability, which the unpredictability is a huge factor in stress in our life as well. Predictable stressors, if you're getting a bomb every day in your neighborhood, no big deal. If you're yeah. getting a bomb in day one and then randomly day three and then randomly day 17, significantly more stressful on the system. So says predictability. the predictability factor. It's like, okay, I'm ready. And control. Right. And control. If it's predictable, even if it's a bomb falling, at least I have some sense of order and I can control my own reactions to it. If it's unpredictable, right. who knows what could happen? Right, exactly. So you're always on that edge. So know? we need an unpredictable tickling machine. I want one of those. I'm and, that's, and that's what they did. They, so they, crea- yeah. they created a machine where it's essentially, it's kind of like those bikes, I, I believe. It's one of those bikes where you like, if you turn right, it goes left kind of thing. You're like, oh my God, I can't figure it out. Have you seen that on YouTube? They're really yeah. interesting. Yeah. You know, and so essentially similar thing where it's like you push this way and all of a sudden, woo, it, it poked me in the butt, <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, and that tickles and that tickles. Cool. You know? And so, uh, it's, it's just a, it's such an interesting thing, this dance with the nervous system. There's another study that I, I heard about this on like a podcast I was listening to. I, I got to check it out. Um, but essentially they were looking at the sensory receptors in people's spine in relation to back pain. And what they assumed is that this person is lit up with pain all day, these receptors must be going wild. And what they saw with that was actually they weren't really functioning. You know, they, they weren't turned on super high like we would expect. It's that they weren't receiving the information in the first place, you know, mm-hmm. which again gets into that, that dissonance, that separation between mm-hmm. I, this physical body, I don't know what the heck this thing is. This is just my vehicle. This is how I get to work. This is how I drink coffee. You know, it's how I have sex. It's like I use this vehicle. I'm not this vehicle, you know, and I think it's very interesting how we, we seek out like out of body experiences. I'm do you seeking, do all that at once, by the way? I, <laughs> so, I'm, I'm, I'm looking into it, but you know, there's right. a, I'm, I'm actually, yeah, check out YouTube in, in three weeks. Um, okay. But, um, you know, so it's, it's, it's getting that I'm, I'm looking to have in body experiences, yeah. you know, as opposed to trying to seek out something. It's like using medicine, using body work, using philosophy, whatever it is to get into your body. I, I hypothesize, you know, I believe that that is a answer of sorts to pain. I believe that this confusion in the system, be it, you know, psychosomatic or be it whatever, I think creates conflict. Do you have any thoughts on that? The confusion in the system creates conflict. Yeah. Well, you, I mean, you started out by asking about somatic psychology, and that's, I used to have a psychotherapy practice where I worked in that way. People would come in and we'd sort it out, are we working uh, somatically, are we going to lay down the table, we'll do hands-on work today, or are we working more psychologically, we will, we'll talk and we'll explore beliefs and all those kind of things. And uh, anymore, I don't, I mean, I still work those different ways, but I don't have it divided up in that way. So at least in my approach, no, I'm not. Boy, how to answer that question? That's a tough question. I'm not trying to tease it apart. I'm more interested in however it emerges from each individual. Because actually, uh, you know, psychology is awesome. And so is hands-on body work. And so is the idea of a mind. And so is the idea of a body. And so is the idea of these different parts. 
And they're all strategies into this hole that we are. Right. And so I think what you're asking is, well, how do I see this hole and what splits us apart? What splits us apart in terms of our experience of ourselves? Right. Is that it? Pretty much, you know, and then actionable, you know, I know that oftentimes yeah. having answers is like, it's just this, we feel comfortable with answers. So, you know, I, I okay. call this, you know, whatever, this wall is called a wall. Do I know what the heck a wall is? No, I don't know what a wall is. <laughs> you know? But like, All right. like what, what do you tell clients that have, say that their back has been hurting for the last you know, yeah. 20 years? How do you work first, with that? No, that's great. That's a great time example because the first thing I want to do is make sure I understand the question. And for instance, if someone's back's been hurting for 20 years, I don't want to assume I know what that means or even what they want, or even what they'd be happy with, or what's going to make it better. Because sometimes, as a practitioner, um, there's limits to what I can do. Sometimes I find the right thing in their back after 20 years doesn't hurt. I mean, I have a whole collection of canes and crutches and bandages in my closet that people throw away and dance out of my practice room. I'm just kidding. But it's, it's almost like that. You know, There's enough miracles where you find the right thing, it's done. Right. But sometimes, and that's when it gets interesting, you don't. You try and, you, you know, someone tries with themselves. They go to search out all these different approaches. And nothing quite finds the magic bullet that makes the back pain from 20 years go away. Those, those are the interesting ones for me to work with because the conversation shifts. And I want to make sure first I understand the question. Right. So the question then becomes, what do you want to have happen? And if that wasn't instantly magically possible after trying all these things you've tried, what would help? Because sometimes a 50% reduction is going to be a miracle. Yeah. I remember just the other day, a conversation with a guy who his, his, his uh, knees and hips hurt him a lot. And as we started to unfold that and explore what that meant and what he wanted out of that, he wanted to get down on the ground and play with his grandkids. Hmm. He couldn't do that. Hmm. He was like trying to bend over at the waist and sit on the couch and do all this stuff. He wanted to get down on the ground with his grandbabies. So the session became about how do you get down on the ground in a way that's comfortable, you know? And by the way, that, that movement, him doing that, shifted the way he, the sensation in his body, the way he felt, shifted the pain levels. But it wasn't about trying to reverse engineer the back pain. It was trying to help him do, help him understand what his question was. How do I get down on the floor and play with my grandkids? That's awesome. And so that's, that sounds like kind of a, a definition of somatic psychology. In a sense, and not that I'm an expert in somatic psychology, but you know, it's like getting to, creating that bridge between what do you want, you know, genuinely, what is what is your organism looking seeking, and what's happening in this physical orchestra that you have. This is Till's definition of what he's doing in his practice. After working in somatic psychology for a couple of decades and saying I'm going to stop using that descriptor, right? So no, there's there's a lot to it, but no, it, it, it gets very strategic for me. Whether I'm thinking about my own body and the things I want to do with my own body or the people that come to me. I really want to understand what the question is. What's the desire? What's motivating us to do these things? You know, what makes people listen to your podcast? Right. What are they after? Right. You know, that's really, really interests me. Right. And there's, sorry to relate humans to rats so much, but there was another study um, where they, they were taking rats. They were forcing them to run in a wheel. And they found that to be significantly more stressful than the rat that just runs by his, by his own means. He just he felt like going for a run. You know, yeah, it's, I, think, I think that relates to that really well. Anybody with kids knows that. Right. <laughs> so how, how do people ask them? How do people find that question for themselves? 
you know, without seeing Till Lukau or without seeing, you know, whoever, you know, like what, where do you start with that? If you have the pain and it's like, what is this? Well, one, one view of any kind of symptom, whether it's pain or disquiet or unease or unhappiness or something you're dissatisfied with, some way to think about that is it's something that's, you're, something's calling out to you. You want something. Mm. So it's really kind of unfolding that. And yeah, it helps to have some outside facilitation, someone that can ask you and help you think through. Because it's a journey, you know, and it, it's and the people that work with you, the people that work with me, the people that work with anybody, it's that guiding, that mutually informing journey that happens mm. that really answers that question. Sure. What am I after? You know, why does this bother me? What's this symptom presenting me? How do I have to work with this? When we can get rid of them, that's amazing. And a lot of us spend a lot of time looking to how we get rid of symptoms. When we can, fantastic. Thank goodness there's ways to do that. When we can't, that's when it gets really interesting. Are you in pain, Till? Me? Not right now. No. Nice. Yeah. That's fantastic. <laughs> but I got to, I'm sorry, interrupting a little bit. No, no worries. But I spent three years in pain. I spent three years in pain after having gotten bit by a tick in Africa. Crap. And getting a form of Lyme disease that, boy, did I do a self-study on pain, you know. Right. So that really did uh, turn me around. This is after having worked as a practitioner for 20, 25 years. Yeah. So it's like, whoa, okay, so what I thought I was doing, I got to reevaluate that because none of it's working in this case. It's such a beautiful thing. It's, I feel like with anything, it's like the molting, you know, of old layers. So, you know, it's like as you progress through something that you think you know about, I mean, everybody knows this, you get your black belt in jujitsu and you finally start training jujitsu. You know, yes. it's like you start to get to a point where it's like, oh, you can read that, you know, the Rumi book or the whatever book. And it's like, oh, whoa, you know, like that makes a lot of sense what he's saying right now. Whereas 10 years ago, I read the book and I got, went through the words, but it didn't really have the same connection. So something like that, where you have this huge library of information to pull from and feeling to pull from, and then you get hit by a deer tick or, or bit by a deer tick or whatever deer tick it yeah. was. And it's like, oh my God. Who knows what kind of tick that African thing was, but Those bastards. What's the, what's the opposite of pain? Uh, I think lack of lack of pain. Lack of <laughs> lack of pain. You know, it's yeah. like when you feel like you shouldn't feel your body. You know. It okay. Should, it should so that's move. interesting. All right. So the lack of pain, it becomes the opposite of pain. I think that's how a lot of us think about it. Or some people would say it's even pleasure. You know? I don't know. They get entangled. They get entangled. But there's got to be an answer to that question. I don't know what it is. <laughs> that, uh, that's beyond just lack of pain, in my view. Right. Lack of pain is a great goal if I'm in pain. That's so important. But there's ways to have the opposite uh, that are even beyond just getting rid of the symptoms. Yeah. Where yeah. it does take it in the realm, into the realm of pleasure. Or maybe it's openness. I don't know what it is. You right. Know? Something I think, like I think it's all that, you know, it's, and again, it's like looking at this, I don't want to get too philosophical. It seems like that we always end up doing that, but you know, it's like, you don't need to have that dualistic perspective on like, there's pain and then there's lack of pain. You know, it's a yeah. blur, similar concept of the fascial continuities of the body. You know, it's mm -hmm. like, we look at through our system, we're like, we got the humerus bone and then we got the attachment with the blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like, 
Yes. I prefer looking at it, you know, we talk about this at the Rolf Institute and probably lots of other places, you know, I prefer to look at it as, as continuities of the same streets, they just change their names. Now we're on Brubaker Street, now we're on Howard Street, you know, but it's like, did, it, did the pavement really change that much? You know, now all of a sudden the dirt path, the, the road is turning into a dirt path. Now there's grass growing on it. Oh, that's a ligament, that's a tendon, that's a muscle. Oh, that's back to the yes. bone. You know, it's, I think there's a similar cont continuity with our emotional experience as well. There doesn't need to be this, ha-ha, black, white, blah, blah, which you know that. Uh, I, I mean, I assume that you, you recognize that or see that or maybe not. I don't know. Well, you're making me think of something. That's the, you know, you're giving physical analogies to all these continuities. And um, I realized that what I was talking about before you know, when pain uh, doesn't go away or when disquiet doesn't go away somehow, it, it can be a physical problem, but when the physical solutions don't work anymore, then it becomes a problem in a different dimension. And the solution's probably in a different dimension. And uh, can I say the word spiritual on your podcast? Oh, yeah, yeah. All right. Because so, <laughs> that might be one direction, right. you know, or you could say uh, body, mind or psychological. That's another possible dimension or meaning or purpose or those kind of those kind of questions come up for people. Right. Yeah. You know, that's that's that brings in, uh, you know, when things don't quite go the way we want them to. Like I said, that's when it gets interesting. And that's when we get multidimensional with it. I've, and sometimes, I, sometimes the problem starts, say, in the emotional or spiritual realm, or starts, meaning it's experienced there first. Uh, when I was there in Africa, and that time I got bit, there was a guy in one of the workshops I was teaching who was a psychiatrist working in uh, the townships, the black townships that are, you know, tough places. And I said, what are you after in this workshop? He said, I want to understand this rolfing body-mind thing better, because what I have in my practice as a psychiatrist, I don't have people coming to me in Soweto saying, I'm depressed. They come and say, I have a heartache. And so I give them the antidepressants, and that doesn't seem to do as much as when I send them to physical therapy. Right. Even if they have, you know, all of what we'd expect, the Westerner, primitive Europe, European descent, to say, as depression, uh, in a different cultural context, they're experiencing as a physical symptom. Yeah. Yeah. And I... I Go ahead. That gets yeah. into something important of it. Like, it's their experience is the, is the most important thing. You know, when you, when you come in and you see a client or a patient, it's, yeah. it should not be your ego defeats the fire. Ha ha. You know, it should be that you are tapping into opening up space for their experience, you know, where they may be going through their life and they have, they have this job thing and then they have the kids and they have to be strong and they have to be noble and they have to, uh, you know, all this stuff to be able to open a space, like a vacuum, for them to just get into whatever the heck their genuine experience is. You know, I think that that is a really, really fancy anecdote to, you know, to get to the bottom of something. I don't know what, you know, but it starts to unravel some layers. Mm -hmm. You know, I think mm -hmm. that it's, and then oftentimes as well, reading what do people, how do people need to be worked with? You know, do people need to heal themselves? I'm doing quotation marks because I don't like the word healing. You know, but like in relation to me, when people are like, oh, you're a healer. It's like, no, 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 no. You know, facilitating mm -hmm. their own system to do whatever it has to do. Yeah. You know, and so oftentimes people need to do it themselves. 
You know, so no, what you yeah. can guide them a little bit and say, here, do oh. this, take this foam roll or take this walk, go for this swim, go have this relation, whatever, you know? You're articulating a viewpoint that I agree with. Okay. And uh, it says, really, our most effective role is in helping people walk their own path. Yeah, man. And, uh, and to really understand the reality of their own experience, take responsibility for it, and act on that. Right. Yeah, I'm into that too. <laughs> so I want to go a little bit. I mean, I, had, I, have like, I have notes. I have notes for all these conversations. I was like, this big expansive right. potential. But I'm not yeah. going to get into hardly any of the things that I thought I was going to talk about. But I would like to chat about, because we just don't have time. We're not going to talk about the interosseous membrane? That oh, was we got to say interosseous membrane. <laughs> So whatever, no, I'll go wherever. What do no, you got? well, no, you said it. We're going there. I wasn't going to go there, but now, so there's a lot of again getting into a lot of aspects of the of the physical body that we think, you know, we we think we have this awareness of what it what's happening. We have this Newtonian model of like you know the the the, the levers and the tendons and the pulls and it comes up 35 degrees. You know, we have this mechanistic perspective on how our body works oftentimes there's a lot of things that we can learn in our system that it's like, whoa, that's a little bit, it starts to get into kind of more like, like Einstein or Stephen Hawking, you know, like black holes. You're like, whoa, what is that? It was like things like an interosseous membrane, you know, firstly, what is that? Because I don't think anybody knows what that is. You know, I mean, people know what that is for sure, but, but, but they don't, they don't know what that is from the perspective of a, you know, like Ida Rolf or like an, maybe an osteopath or like a, a really good physio or, you know, using it as, as this almost like, it's like, like a suspension system almost. I mean, you can look at that for my perspective on it. I could be way off on this, but I look at it, the interosseous like membrane of like the tibia and the fibula as you come down into that uh, dorsiflexion position, you start to splay the tib and the fib. You know, the talus comes in and starts to open that space up. You're literally loading a spring. You know, mm. and when you have, when you're not able to get that movement in that space, you start walking around like a peg leg. You know, and that peg leg model, that model is that Newtonian model. You know, it's, oh, we're a lever. You know, I'm a stick figure. I walk around. This is very convenient. It's, uh, I go this shift to the left and that to the left, yeah, and then anterior tilt. You know, so when you get into things like, oh, maybe we are just floating in this fluid space of our body, you know, and it starts to be like, what the heck is that? What does that mean? <laughs> That's right. No, you got it. You got it, man. And the, the interosseous memory is one of those keys to that. It's one of those black holes or wormholes or whatever that can open up a whole other dimension of possibility. So what is it? Well, like you said, it's it, okay, well. Okay, let's start at the beginning. What is it? It uh, if you imagine you mentioned tibia and fibula, which are the two lower leg bones. So I assume we're going to talk about interosseous memory of the leg, because a couple of them. But interosseous memory of the leg, uh, tibia and fibula, the two lower leg bones. If you imagine them wrapped in shrink wrap, like they're for sale in the store, and they've been wrapped up, the shrink wrap would bridge these two parallel bones. Uh, and there's a little bit of a membrane between the two bones. That's the interosseous membrane. So it's the bridging between the two lower leg bones, but guess what? It's continuous with the wrappings all the way around the leg. Mm. The other interesting thing about it is this wrapping has a fiber direction to it that's kind of interesting, so that this shrink wrap bridging between the two lower leg bones has an angled fiber direction to it that 
causes the bones to move in an f- interesting way in relationship to each other. So like you said, when you dorsiflex, in other words, when you do like a squat or something, those two bones have to widen a little bit around your ankle bone, around your talus. And if they don't, you're, like you said, you're a peg leg and you can't, at least at your ankle, you can't bend. Right. You end up squatting with your knees and hips and not, nothing at your ankle. So when there is a little bit of adaptability in that shrink wrap and the wrapping between the two bones, you get that a little bit of a resilient opening around the ankle bone, around the talus. Right. And uh, it's, the bones stay in contact with each other and you have a weight distribution. You have spring. And then when you come back up, it's actually helping you rise back up or helping you come out of your stride or whatever in that springiness that happens between those two bones as well. So like fascia does, it gets thick, it can get stiff, it can get uh, unresponsive, unopened, unresilient. And then you're not getting the spring, you're just fighting it constantly. Right. And that's why I wanted to chat. I mean, we don't need to go deep because I think a lot of people getting into anatomical terms can be pretty flippin' boring. Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> so I don't like to go. I don't know. I'm excited about it. But uh, well, you if you're for the few like, you know, body nerd people out there that are like, you know, like really excited about that. I, I agree. It's fantastic. But for the majority. Here's one. Let's, let's, let's amp it up a little bit. Okay. If you didn't have an interosseous membrane, you would f- your lower leg would split open and you would fall down in a heap. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so Fire, it's bad news. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's true. The interosseous membrane is a big deal. Yeah, absolutely. I'm- so it's basically, it basically determines the springiness of your lower leg and ankle. Really quick, what about, so this interosseous membrane of the, of the tib-fib, you know, the, yeah. the lower leg, that makes a lot more sense to me, the value of it. The value right. in the forearms makes sense uh-uh. to me too, but not nearly as distinct as like, I have this really fantastic suspension system model in my brain of what's happening with that in the lower body. What about yeah. through the forearms, that space between the forearms? How does that work with that, the radius and the ulna? Okay, tell me this, what's the best... Handshake you ever had? Oh, man, I, I don't know. First I don't thing, think I have a memory. association. Of it, Make it up. Um, I mean, I like like high fives and like I'm like I'm from the streets till. All right. I, <laughs> yeah. So when you slap that palm, what's it feel like? It feels it feels like victory. It feels fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Okay. What's and then what's the quality of the other hand you're hitting? Is it uh, what to like? Just say a word or two. Ah, uh, the quality is um, it's soft yet supple, solid. It's All like right, a yeah, you you're you're being a cooperative witness here. You know where I'm going, yeah. because uh, that that interosseous membrane of the arm determines how your hand feels. And if you imagine like the handshake of a used car salesman, that's no interosseous membrane movement at all. Rigid, gripping, hard. I don't know if that's... I'm not fair to use car salesmen. Right. Actually, I actually sold used cars in college nice. myself. Nice. So I can say these things. I can make these jokes. You bastard. Yeah. <laughs> but so if you... In contrast, if you imagine... No, no, I sold... Everyone's happy with my cars. Oh, okay, okay. No, I'm no, no, still no. friends with right, them. Okay, no. okay. <laughs> Any case, if you imagine a grip, a high five or a handshake or... How about this? The touch from a body worker that is supple, has that adaptive quality you're talking about, that's because the interosseous membrane of the arm is actually allowing the bones of the arm to be in an f- open, flexible relationship with each other. They're actually doing the adapting there. 
and that gets into something else that's super interesting. Is, What's that? Is the, the, the density of this tissue that we are occupying, be it, you know, bones are predominantly collagen proteins. You know, the bones are, are, are it's not just this stiff, solid calcium deposit like we like to believe from the model, you know. And, and I know that the models don't even say that necessarily. But when you look at it, you're like, oh, okay, that's no flexibility in that thing. You know, and then you get you get into, you know, for people that are into this type of body work, you know, or have experienced this in themselves, you know, craniosacral therapy or, you know, feeling motility and all this stuff. It's like, don't worry about what the heck it means. You know, but what it is, is you're feeling the movement of those bones. Yeah. You know, and, and then as well, one, one really quick thing is when you when you get into an accident or you throw a baseball, catch a baseball or whatever it may be, it changes the density, the physiology of those structures. What just for the, that? I know. Well, this is just for the sake of accuracy. Uh, bones have a lot of collagen. They are still predominantly, you said predominantly collagen. They're predominantly minerals, but they have a ton of collagen and a ton of water. Right. So they, you're, what you're describing is totally true. They're what very it? flexible. It's like 20% water. Some, I, heard, I heard it was uh, like... 20, 30%. depends on the bone. I, I could look it up somewhere. I don't remember right now, but it's, it's a high percentage of water. Okay. Dried bone, though, is about 30% uh, collagen, if I remember right. So you can't take the water out of the picture. It's still a lot of flexible collagen. Right. Living bone is about a third bigger than a dried bone, and that's water. Right. And then so then you got this flexible collagen. You got all this squishy water in there, and you got some calcium, magnesium salts in the background, you know. But yeah, like you said, it's a springy structure. It's a flexible thing. And so getting into when you work with people. Is that something that you're thinking about of actually changing bony formations, you know, or organization of bones? Depends on, again, that first question, why are they coming? Right. But I'm keeping in mind that the bones are not just lumps of rock. Right. You know, or if that's the conceptualization, if that's how people experience their own bodies, then I want to help their conceptualization be a little different. So, yeah, if someone's, say, if someone's coming and they say, you know, I just feel awful, I feel stiff, I'm worried about falling over and hurting myself, you know, as I get into my 70s or whatever it is, we're going to work with those ideas. We're going to work with how fragile are you? And did you know even when you're 70s, even your 80s, your bones have that water in them, have that flexibility? And no, it's not like you want to go starting to do Aikido rolls at 80 or something like that. But you can just the way we move and having a base of support and having a lot more adaptability will change my experience of my bones, my experience of my body, yeah, in quite a bit of ways, you know. Right, and and again, getting into that, the reason that the reason that I'm I'm referencing this, and I think what I what I meant to say with with predominantly collagen, that yeah. was a mix up. What I meant is is it's it's about at least half and half of the hard stuff versus the soft stuff. You know, so being water, fluid, collagen, all that stuff that can bend and move. I'll go with that, yeah. You know, and so we don't, we, it's, we don't have that, that, that solidity that we think where it's, no, such, it's all calcium, solid, stone. Okay, so how much of your idea of your body is calcium, stone? That's what I'm interested in. <laughs> right. How, how rigid do we get in our thinking of what our bodies are and what they can do? Right. And then that's, that's part of my work, too, is to help people shift the rigidity of their ideas about their body and their experiences of themselves. Right. And I, th I, th I feel in my own self with that, 
going through a broader range of motion, you know, so I do, I do ballet and I do capoeira and I do like these really random movements that's very exploratory through your system. And what I've, what I've noticed with that is when I'm exploring a fuller range of motion in my body and you can tell from talking to me, like as we're talking, my hands are all over the place, you know, and, and and it's like, it's a therapeutic experience for me. You know, versus being having that, you know, like Gil Headley calls it like monk-like disposition. You know, it's like I, I, I think it's really important to explore that full, fullest aspect of yourself, fullest expression of yourself. And I wonder how that impacts your emotional self, you know, your mental mm-hmm. self, your cognitive self. Mm-hmm. You know, and so we're running out of time. This is very disappointing to me. But, um, oh, look at that. Yep. Son of a girl. But I wanted, to, I wanted to chat about a little bit about headaches. That was another one of the things that was on the, the bucket list. Is there anything that, you know, when people come in, I'm sure people come in to see you a lot about headaches. That's a big thing in our culture. Yeah. What, is, yeah. What, how do you, what do you do with, what do you do with that? What is, what is a headache? No, this is perfect. I mean, everything we've talked about applies to headache, especially the interosseous membrane part. Hmm. No, I'm kidding. But there, you know, there are some membranes in the head that act a lot like interosseous membranes that actually, I do think about them being springier. Yeah. But I'm, that's, that's a footnote. The main thing about headaches that I remember to myself is it's an experience. A headache is a great example of a physical symptom that, is, that varies so much person to person. And there are often, say, organic physiological things going on. Right. But the way someone experiences a headache, whether how severe it hurts, how much it bothers them, how motivated they are to do something about it, their willingness to take steps, that's an individual question. And so the first thing with working with headaches is to understand, again, it's an experience. It's not even necessarily a sensation. Hmm. It's not even necessarily, you know. So what, let's think. What are, there's headaches that are thought to arise on their own, meaning we don't really know what causes them. They just, the head hurts for some reason, right. like migraines. And there's headaches that come from something else, like you have an allergy or sinus thing or you're dehydrated. They come from a second thing. Of course, with those, you gotta you gotta drink some water. You gotta you know figure out the allergy thing before those headaches are gonna permanently go away. But with that first kind of headache, tension headaches or migraines or mixed headaches, there's a lot that can be done directly for the pain itself. Hmm. So tension headaches being the most common kind, about I don't think it's uh, I want to say 65 percent, seventy percent maybe of all headaches fall into that kind of tension category. It's about what's going on in the body. It's about all the stuff you've been talking about. It's about the myofascial relationships. It's about strain being transmitted. It's about the way we use our body in a way that is easy and supported or whether we're having to work and to keep our body upright. All those things will translate through as myofascial strain right up into the head because all the front, back, side, side stuff crosses over in the head. This is our connection, you know, every direction. And so it, it gets, you know, this is like the, also the top of the food chain. All the strain doesn't have anywhere to go once it gets to the head up there. Right. Plus, it's, it's the place that we're doing all this stuff with our eyes and our face and our jaws and our neck, you know, which is holding a pretty heavy ball up on this uh, vertebral column. Right. So all of those interesting relationships manifest in a, a sense of either ease or discomfort up at the head and neck. So as far as actionable information for folks that are suffering, you know, yeah. say, I mean, I get there's a difference between migraines versus a sinus headache or a cluster. Yeah. Head, you know, there's, there's all these different right. definitions Categories. of what's going on there. Sure. You know, 
is there any kind of guidance that you can kind of give people at home as far as how to address what's happening and how to work with that themselves? Yeah, again, if it's a tension headache, most common kind, uh, mild, some people call them myofascial, myoskeletal headaches, 60-70%. That's going to show up as generally being both sides of the head. It doesn't seem to correlate with a lot of nausea or hallucinations or blind spots or uh, auditory phenomena like migraines do. Right. Maybe a smaller percentage, like 12, I think, percent or so, are migraines where you have either blind spots or flashing lights or nausea or uh, just extreme excruciating sensitivity to sound. Those are migraines. It's a different class. But with the, the tension ones that are most people's, you basically, guess what? You reduce the tension. If, unless it's like, again, symptomatic of dehydration, which in which case you, direct, you address the symptom. But if it's not, then you address the tension. Right. And you do that by moving, by getting free in your body, by doing things, getting off the computer, you know. Uh, all those things that will help reduce whatever is giving rise to that headache. And you, so you jokingly said that in the interosseous membrane stuff is, is yeah. related to that. And I agree. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Right. Because like, there's, hands, there's hands-on work. Right. And you ask for stuff at home. I don't know. There's probably ways to do it at home. Uh, yeah, I'm just thinking of, uh, of uh, Sutherland who strapped catcher's mitts around his head. He's the guy that invented craniosacral therapy right. as a way himself. to start to work. Yeah, right. start to work with his own membranes of his head. Right. So not to, don't try this at home kind of thing. Right. But, you know, with skillful work, hands-on work from the outside, you can do a lot to help relieve those, either the interosseous strains or the myofascial strains around the head, that kind of stuff. And going out into the, the new age limb in the tree here, um, you know, you had mentioned that the, the quality of that tissue separating the, the forearm bones, you know, the interosseous yes. membrane, you know, impacts the quality of your handshake, impacts the quality of your expression with these hands. What do you do with your hands? You give people massages, you feed yourself, you make art, you hold your baby, you say bye, you say hi. Here's another one. It doesn't go, it doesn't go just out the end of the hand. It goes up the other way. So most of our movements we initiate with our hands somehow. If you, walk, if you watch somebody walking, often it's the hands that are adapting. The hands are like our perceptive focus. And so when those are inhibited, everything turns off. Right. We don't yeah. have that kind of adaptability down the lower limb. It affects the whole body. Right. And then there's the, um, I've, I, I'm not, I don't want to get into it too much, but the Jan Sultan, you might have been familiar with the thing where it's like, different approach of how you approach session eight mm -hmm. or whatever. And yeah, what, what it was, was, was the, was the, the forearm release and the, mm -hmm. the interosseous membrane release thing. And radial what, decompression, radial yeah. decompression. That's what we got. You know, and, and one of the things that, that oftentimes you'll see with that is if you release all the tension through these yes. appendages, all of a yeah. sudden you'll see some very interesting, spooky stuff manifest in the spine, you know, in the, in the, in the, the midsection of the body or in the rest of the body, you know, mm -hmm. because we're distributing these compensations throughout the whole system. If you throw a bomb into one sector of that connected system, the rest of the system has to, has to interact with that. It has to compensate for what happened. We got bombs again. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> it's all about sensationalism. Yeah. So spooky, yeah. So spooky <laughs> stuff happens and good things happen. When that, when that, uh, when your periphery, when your arms and legs are open, then that central part, the core, can change. Right. Otherwise, and of course, stability is good, but you don't want core rigidity. Right. And so that part of that has has to do with the limbs and girdles around it. A lot of it has to do with that. Right. 
Well, that was not enough time. I had a great time chatting with you. Yeah, likewise. <laughs> uh, um, how do people find you? I know you have uh, the, the courses that you do. I've checked. I actually checked out your headache course like a year ago. And it was mm. like you were doing a live webinar or something like that. That's awesome. Right. Any body workers out there, I would suggest. I think that, that your work is great. Um, how do people find you more about what you're putting out? advanced-trainings.com advanced-trainings.com or we're on Facebook you know, search for my name or the business name advanced-trainings.com and those free webinars are put on by the ABMP so we're all over their site they've done 30 something webinars over the years and it's a great service they just offer the somatic community and a lot of them are accessible to the general public so even if you're not a body worker there's a bunch of stuff on chronic pain or on body-mind uh, relationships there that are really accessible yeah. and a great resource too. Yeah, and I mean, for example, the headache one, I, I watched it with a friend of mine and she was like actually super into it. She has no connection with body work She wasn't a practitioner, but it no. spoke to her. That's cool, that's good to hear. Yeah, so, all right, well, thank right. you. Thank My you so pleasure. Will, Thanks for the work you're doing. Yeah, man, I appreciate you. I um, I will see you in Boulder. So I I lived in Boulder for like five years and you know, yeah. so I'm familiar with Naropa and Rolf and all that stuff. So. Next time I come out, I'll, I'll ring you up. Awesome. All right. Thank you, man. Appreciate Take care. it. Align Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast. I greatly appreciate your comments and your shares in iTunes. They determine the ranking and the visibility of the show, and they make me smile. So I look forward to reading those guys. Be sure to check out the website, aligntherapy.com. That's A-L-I-G-N therapy.com. On there, you can find my blog. You can find this podcast, more information about the topics and the, and the uh, guests that we've had on the show. You can find hundreds of absolutely free instructional videos on self-care, functional movement, how to get strong, how to get fast, how to get exactly what you want out of your body. You can check out the online coaching where we work work out how to optimize your movement practice so that you can live optimally and pain-free for the rest of your life. As well, be sure to check out the self-care kit where it is as small enough to fit underneath the seat in your car. And it's like a physical therapist and a massage therapist all wrapped up into one package. I know you guys are going to love the website. I know you guys are going to get a lot of value out of it. And I look forward to hearing your comments. All right. Bye. Thank you for listening. And remember to join the movement by subscribing to the podcast. If the information has been helpful, please share and leave your comments in iTunes. Aaron personally reads each one and it makes all the work worthwhile. Together, we will make a difference and continue to bring more powerful and inspiring messages to the world. Align Podcast.